Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco and Lit Hub Radio, episode 197, East of Eden. Today, we take on John Steinbeck's classic epic novel, East of Eden, which centers on the Salinas Valley of California and tells the story of several generations of the Trask and Hamilton families. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We are Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic, Todd Goldberg, and essayist and radio personality, Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hey! Hello. I'm back. Ryder is back. Ryder has been on an epic road trip. The last time... Well, Julia just saw Ryder, but the last time Ryder was home was, what, five weeks ago? Uh, four weeks ago. Yeah, July 1st we left, and we're recording this on the 27th. So. Oh, my God. So yeah. you might go there, and there might be squatters living in your house. <laughs> well, I have friends staying at my house, so yes, they, they just might refuse to leave. <laughs> so where in the world have you been? Uh, everywhere. So we started in Northern California, where I grew up for 4th of July, on my parents' property, camping out there. Then we went to the Eastern Sierras, which was wonderful. And we camped there for a while, like four four days and four nights in the Eastern Sierras, which I had never been to. I, I, I grew up exploring the Western Sierras, but I'd never been to the Eastern Sierras. And it was gorgeous and amazing. And we had a bear encounter, which was awesome and so thrilling for my son, Indy, to, you know. Be they, terrified of a bear. To face death. <laughs> to stare yeah. into the eyes of a Well, it, it was the worst because we actually predator. watched it. It, it. it came into our camp. We had two bear encounters in the same day, broad daylight. The first one I missed. Um, and the second one, we were literally carrying back uh, the box because we had left the box in our car that's labeled survival, which includes the bear spray and the uh, so, and the uh, air horn that you're supposed to use to scare bears. So when we the heard, box when we had, marked irony, first, exactly. So after the first bear encounter, we were like, oh, we should we should probably get the survival box. We're like, okay. So we were carrying the cooler between me and my wife with Indy trailing behind it. We had the cooler between us and the survival box on top of it. And our friends who we were camping with started screaming from the campsite, it's in our campsite. So I, you know, drop everything, grab the air horn and like go over there and they scrambled up onto a boulder so i joined them on the boulder and we just watched this bear go through our garbage that we had left out we had like one of these little portable yeah so (laughs) stupid to leave our garbage out uh and then you know once it ate the applesauce that was in there and i'm sitting there blowing the air horn out of trying to scare it away and it just doesn't care you know (laughs) 
bears <laughs> don't give a fuck. Uh, and then it just went into the next campsite, and this is the horrifying part. We just watched it with one hand, just like claw open the tent, yeah. like just go like and rip open the tent because our the people in the campsite next to us had left soap in one of their bags. So the I mean, but you just it was like so easy. It was like exactly what you fantasize or you like have nightmares about at night, right? Is that a right. bear is just gonna like rip into your tent so easily that's exactly what i was like oh anyway uh i you know i it, i find it exciting it kind of kept us on our edge and we slept there that night and it was fine and i'm glad you know now my son has like a bear encounter you know already it was like only day two of our trip Aww. so and like, we let, yeah we, what, what do you do after that like well let's <laughs> let's find a puma <laughs> let it let it chase Indy around. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you know it's good for toughen him up. Like he's he's been bragging about it every everywhere we go. It's like you know I had a bear encounter and it was awesome. Um, yeah, and then we headed into the Southwest. We had a night in Vegas when it was a hundred and like ten degrees. Went to the Zion Bryce area and went which hiking around beautiful. there. Beautiful, which so is beautiful. gorgeous. Yeah. yeah, and then we went into Colorado. We had a friend who was managing a hotel in Colorado for the summer, and that was gorgeous. Silverton, Colorado, just amazing. Uh, we went whitewater rafting. We did some dune bugging, and then we're just like since then, since we left the West, it was mostly about seeing people, like friends. Um, and you know, once you get once you get past Kansas, like everything's a lot closer together, so we were able to like. Just see friends like one after another, including Julia up in uh, Connecticut, which was awesome. We got to walk around and uh, put put her daughter on my one wheel. Yeah, there was a lot of risk taking. <laughs> little life thre- little <laughs> one wheel experience. Um, yeah, man, it's been a blast. And now we're on our way back. We're in Atlanta right now um, at a lake. Our friends have a lake house outside of Atlanta, so we're here. And my son got to jet ski today for the first time. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, what, it's been uh, a very adventurous summer, and like, you know, luckily Indy's sick, so so he'll actually remember this, yeah. I think. And I, you know, it's the summer vacation. But I mean, I feel like I talked about this trip on the show when I was first dreaming about it mm-hmm. last, yeah. like, last fall. I feel like I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? <laughs> a road trip, <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just like, we're doing it, you know. And it's been hard, like it's been. It's been really tough. Like, you know, our son drives us crazy. We drive him crazy. My wife's been producing a film this entire time. So she's like been literally doing Zoom meetings. I released the music video while we were here. So I was doing interviews with magazines and promoting on social media. So like a lot, it's just been a lot. Like, you know, and if you ask my wife, like it's probably too much. (laughs) But I am just so happy that we did it, you know. You're going to look back on it. This is is something that you'll keep forever. And yeah, I, it's I, exhausting. I can't imagine that Ryder would have overprogrammed a vacation. That, that, Ridiculous. That yeah, it doesn't seem like something. That's not the Ryder Strong. I, I, I know. actually don't understand Plus, how you did all that because now you're in Atlanta. You saw me a yeah. few days ago. Yeah. I don't understand. I need a map with timelines um, another time because yeah. it's crazy. We've been driving. I mean, like, yeah, we've been driving a lot, you know, but and. and it's it's exhausting but luckily i've had some light beach reading <laughs> you chose this John jesus christ oh my God. we could have done grapes of wrath what i you're bringing back so yeah. many memories for me so i've dr- gone cross country twice and one of the times i read grapes of wrath which was which a, a perfect, perfect yeah cross country book but not this not this one no <laughs> no and you know the thing about East of Eden. Um, so the copy that I'm holding up is the copy that I have had 
Well, as long as I can remember owning books, I've had this Which copy is the of the same one I had that disintegrated. Yeah, I got the new one. Yeah, like this one's still like I must have bought this for high school or something like that. Um which is the first time I read it. But uh it's um it's 700 pages long. <laughs> yeah, why did we take this is the first question I have for you guys. Why did we take a leisurely 5 months to read an 800 page book and then I read this thing in 5 days? Well, so here's the difference. So East of Eden might be 700 pages long, but there's tons and tons of dialogue. Not True. great dialogue, True. but there's tons and tons of dialogue. Whereas Middlemarch, it's 800 pages describing furniture and fever hospitals. Um, That's very true. So I'm just it, saying there's a middle ground here. Yeah, this, this is not a quick read no. uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But you know what I also did, guys? So I... I I reread it and then um, I was like, I I remember seeing the movie. I think, and I was like, no, I didn't see the movie. I actually watched the the mini series that came out in the eighties when I was a kid. That was like Eight Nights, and Jane Seymour played um, the mom, Kathy. The Kate. Yeah, um, but this morning I'd never seen it. I watched the East of Eden movie with James Dean in it. Yeah, I've never seen it either. How was it? It bears absolutely no resemblance to the book at all. <laughs> I kind of figured because when I found out that James Dean played Cal, yeah, I was what? like, but Cal's only in the book for like, well, I mean, now I know he's actually in the book for a lot longer than yeah. I thought. But like, Cal's sort of an after. I mean, he is kind of the ends up being the hero, but I was like, he's also only like fifteen. Yeah. Know? So James, the the East know. of Eden movie that um that made James Dean James Dean actually only encompasses. Literally the last three chapters of the book. Okay, Whoa. that's what I figured. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird. Okay, and so when people think about East of Eden based on the film, they they have no, they don't know anything about the BDSM, for instance. <laughs> I forgot all. That's that. not in there. By the way, I I've forgotten a, a ton of stuff in this book. Oh wait, so was this a reread for all of yes. us? Or Julie was it was. No, okay. yeah. I read. So this. we all read yep. this before. Yeah. This is probably my third or fourth time reading this book, actually. Although oh I realized maybe I never finished it the third or fourth time because I thought the book ended with Samuel's death. So when I realized <laughs> that that happened and I still had four hundred more pages, right. I was like, "Wow, there's a lot. Okay, there's a lot of going Yeah, there's still definitely there's still those, in the east at that point. Yes, exactly. <laughs> But the first, the first, the first three or four hundred pages, I've read so many times because there are sentences that are like ingrained in my brain, and I, you know, I don't know how much of that is just because it was like the first like important serious book I read when I was probably thirteen or fourteen, I think, is when I read this book in high school, um, or if I've just read it so many times. Either way, like it was crazy how familiar the first half of this All book right, was. All right, so why me. don't you explain we? <laughs> we have a lot to discuss, so we need yeah. a quickie oh, so on the plot. Yeah. Um, Ryder, if you want to go for it. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, it And opens... I'm going to go get groceries. When you're <laughs> yeah. done, just blow that air horn and I'll be back. <laughs> All right. Well, it starts with a family in the East, and it's uh, led by... Well, actually... Oh, God. It starts with a description of the Salinas Valley okay, in Northern right, California. Yes, yes, it does. Okay, well, I'm uh, gonna... Okay, so basically, it's, like it? <laughs> there's two families. There's two families. There's the Hamiltons, which it, you know, it starts with this, the patriarch of the Hamiltons, which is Samuel Hamilton and his wife Liza, and they have nine children. And we get a very like sort of terse description of all nine kids, and then it, it's 
also telling the story of the Trask family, which begins in the East Coast, and it's centered on Cyrus, and he's this war wannabe war hero who makes up a war history for himself and becomes somebody very important. And his two sons, um, Cain and Abel. Uh, Adam and Charles. Listeners, all you need to know is everybody whose name starts with a C is bad. And everyone whose name starts with an A is is good. Is good. Is angelic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. So basically, it's a retelling of the Cain and Abel story. Three times. Um, Three times. So it falls. Yeah, the Trask family. Is it three or is it just twice? Is it three? No, because Cyrus probably had a brother. Right. That's a name that we don't know. Right. Alex. Right. Right. Okay. So, so they're right. So the, eventually, Adam lives a life uh, of fighting the war and traveling the world as a hobo and being in jail. Uh, and this is all within the first hundred pages. Yeah. And Charles takes over the farm while his dad goes to Washington and becomes a um, a decorated war commander of some sort. And and you know. Charles always wants his father's affection. Adam could care less, but always has his father's affection. It's a very heavy-handed Cain and Abel story. Charles gets marked by a stone. The mark of Cain, guys. It's it's on him. Adam, And then Adam comes back from his wanderings, and the two brothers live uneasily on the farm, and then eventually (laughs) they save a woman who is also Kathy, Kathy, who is literally the devil, (laughs) a demon woman, succubus. And you are now, by the way, on page 300. Not even, not even. And we haven't even gotten to Salinas. I mean, except for a couple chapters on the Hamilton family, which you're constantly wondering, why are we reading about them? Uh, You know, we get their story a little bit. But finally, Adam, well, no, he marries uh, Kathy Kathy. against Charles' wishes. They get rich from their father. They get a bunch of money because their father dies, which happens twice in the book, too. People die and lots of of money just comes in. A lot of inheritances, yeah. A little, yeah, Deus Ex Machina, um, and then <laughs> and or beans, and then Adam moves to Salinas with his two sons. Oh, because twins, twins. Uh, oh no, he moves there with his wife first, without her being pregnant, and then she is pregnant. When they, she doesn't want to go because she's evil, we, she is she's literally so evil. explained We're to gonna be evil. Get back- to her yeah we're gonna talk a lot about and, Kathy. but before that she also has hooked up with adam's brother oh yeah charles they have crazy right. monkey sex right and adam is in love with with kathy even though he's blind and doesn't see her for who she really is right he can't the devil he can't tell what any fucking moron could tell which is that she's right. she's no good she's a witchy woman and then adam finally meets sam hamilton and uh, hires a Chinese cook named Lee. Oy vey. The three of Oy them vey. Lee. form the central <laughs> friendship connection that ties a lot of the threads together in this in this book. And, um, and you know, that's really the part that I f- remembered the most and like thought of the most because, of course, there's the whole Tim Shoal passage, right. which we can talk Tim about. Kathy ends up having the babies birthed by Sam Hamilton. They're two boys. They eventually are named names, <laughs> Caleb and Aaron. And Adam and Lee raise them while Kathy shoots Adam and runs away to become a prostitute in Selena's proper. Marking Adam yet again. Marking with the Adam. Cain. Yeah. yeah. And she's got a scar on her forehead just like right. Charles's scar. So all she, the evil people murdered. And she runs. She she goes so far away. It's almost seven miles. <laughs> Right. And then stays there forever. <laughs> and stays there forever. 
She goes so far away. It's she goes to Salidas. And then we watch the twins grow up and deal with their intergenerational trauma. Yeah. I mean, really, it's like a crazy like it, I, what I kept. I, I mean, this book is so weird. I just can't like I can't like I, I really hated it reading it this time. The first couple hundred pages. Then I came around. Mm-hmm. I can't help but still have deep affection for this book and i don't know why because even sitting here talking about the plot it just feels strung along like it it's like the classic like the king died then the queen died there's no like and like the only thing that that makes you feel like there's any sort of meaning to the plot is this heavy-handed allegory biblical stuff right and i like i was so like rolling my eyes but it still kind of worked mm-hmm. by the end. I don't know. Like, I still kind of feel like, wow. You know, I don't, I, I don't know. Where are you guys, where do you land on this book? Okay, do I love you have it. any, I, I'm really confident. I love this. your tortured existential yeah. monologue. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I read this book, I was 19 and I loved mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I remembered, honestly, was one word, and it was not Tim Schultz. It was Kathy. <laughs> Kathy oh. was so She just stood out captivating. for me. So. She's a great yeah. character. She's a great yeah, character. And is she, or is she a horrible character? Because she's Well, she's so on the nose. She's so on the oh nose. So, but, okay, like, so here's where I'm standing right now um, after my second read. I definitely... I feel like it's the least subtle book I've ever read. Ever. <laughs> ever. Ever. There's no way to misinterpret but, this book, right? Because e- even like the biblical allegories, the characters are saying, well, like in the Bible with Cain and Abel. Like, like, you. <laughs> and then half the characters become religious, just so yeah. they can tell you. Just you're, like, you're like, are you aware, by the way, that this is very similar to a story in the Bible? <laughs> Sam Hamilton's described with a beard and long hair, and then it's like, and his daughter got him confused with God and her mom. You're like, do you think? <laughs> like, Jesus. However, however, um, and the Kathy thing, I just, I can't wait to like dig into this, but... She's so insanely evil that I can understand why that would be a big eye roll for some people, but especially given when this came out, like, let's do it. This is like exorcist level, but she's never... She's right. never exercised. She's completely irredeemable. Right. Yeah. She's complete, and she's completely unmotivated. Yeah, like, no reason guess, to do anything other than no, money. And I, I kept thinking, like, I kept thinking of, like, great villainous characters, you know, like... Iago, right, is the one that I kept thinking of. It's like, and but even he's given a motivation, isn't it? I can't remember the backstory, but there's a there's a hint that that's he was somehow crossed by Othello back in the day, and like there's there's at least the insinuation that he's evil with a purpose. Like, but they, it's like literally spelled out. Like she was born evil, and yeah. like the word She's psychopath is not in the part. Yeah, but but that's what she is, yeah. and it's so. And, and like I was completely like, ugh, this is so one dimensional. This is awful. And then, yeah, her yeah. sections are the most yes. compelling, yes. right? Because so, it's a, it's like a, it's like a. It, I felt like it was um, uh, what's the Showtime show where you're watching the serial killer just Dexter. Like, be a ser- Dexter. It's like the pre- predecessor for Dexter when she's like just in a whorehouse, like you know, plotting to murder people, mm-hmm. <laughs> take over and get their money. I was like, well, this is thrilling. Like, this right. is fun yes. to read. So it ends up being the most exciting parts of the book plot-wise. Right. Because it's just, but it's it's also just so... It's ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, it's... I, I will say, so there's two things that I was, I was like, these, these 
facts are undeniable. One is Steinbeck is such an amazing writer. So this feels like the best writer in the world went insane. That's right. Yes, yes, yeah. But it means that there are sentences and paragraphs. There's this one. I was going to underline it. I didn't have a pencil and I didn't need to because I just remembered it for a whole week till this episode. Just talking about Adam, you know, after the war, how depressed he became, the whole sentence is, Adam reduced his personality to a minus. And I was like, that's the best that's thing great. I've ever yes. heard. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's things like that everywhere. And then everywhere. Steinbeck is such an interesting person, and you can tell he's, like, grappling towards these, like, liberal ideas, but they're off or they're like weird or it's the wrong time that's being very generous but like there is a part where he's you can tell he's kind of like hmm maybe she's getting revenge for you know mm-hmm. all this sexual abuse and then he's like nah she's evil <laughs> and she's just and, no good and so like yeah. it's there as i was reading it um as i was reading her parts and the lee parts um and and the irish stuff I was just like, man, a million undergrad midterm papers have been written Mm -hmm. about this book because there's a lot to deal with on a character level of like, is this as messed up as it's reading right now? Or is he like actually shining the light in like a correct, correct to our 2021 eyes dimension? It's very Mm -hmm. strange. So that kept me captivated. Um, But the writing is unbelievable at yeah. times like unbelievable in both ways like unbelievably incredible and then unbelievably ridiculous <laughs> yeah i i i had no memory of it being such a pot boiler like it, it's, oh, a, it's I a did. total soap opera i had no memory of that oh yeah at all yeah. Uh, and that's what keeps it going because like frankly i could do without any of the hamilton family stuff. yeah i don't give a shit i don't care about tom desi they, they all blend together and like by the time you get that chapter where which one is it Tom kills himself or will I was like what is why do I care about these people I you don't, don't. <laughs> I don't like I care about the Trasks because of the biblical stuff right and then I care about Kathy because it's a full-on crime novel right thrown in there and there's all these lies and deceit it's like so yeah soap operatic it's wonderful uh but to, to your point about the beautiful lines there was a a line that I underlined and this is on in my book it's on page 567 her face was young, perplexed pain. Wow! Like, what a what an amazing sentence that is. Like, I've never I've never thought to put those words together like that. Young, perplexed pain. Okay, I got he another is, one. He is the he is the best at like the 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 two sentence character description that tells you everything you need to know about this person. Uh, yes. it's like it's like screenwriting. I actually mm-hmm. realize now that like, oh my god, this is like a master class on how to introduce a character and screw it because he'll do it in like a paragraph like that section as much as i just talk shit about the hamiltons in the beginning when he does like all nine hamilton children in a cup you're like mm-hmm. whoa whoa like each one of these could have their own novel and he just is able to toss them off and like feel like they're completely fleshed out characters even though you only get a sentence or two yeah it's or the story incredible. where one of them He's like, and then she grew up, and then there's this like whole entire amazing part where she sells war bonds and goes into an airplane. Yeah. It has nothing it's, to do with is, anything, yeah. but I was no. just like so into yeah, it. It's a great little yeah. line. An- another yep. incredible line that is just so simple. This is so Steinbeckian or whatever we're gonna dub it. Um, so Aaron is like he can't he's been told or like there's a bug in his ear that his mother might 
not be dead as he's been lied to. Um, right. But he also like because Rabbit told b- him. Yeah, but believing all of that would make everyone who's ever respected a liar. So mm-hmm. it says. Aaron felt that something had to die, his mother or his world. So mm-hmm. then he just oh. decided she was dead. And it's yeah. just so good. So good. Yeah. yeah. The thing that um, that has always stuck with me about the book is that if you grew up in California, at least if you grew up in California in the 1970s, maybe it's not the case now. The reason all this stuff feels so familiar, writer, is that whenever you had a standardized test, they use something from East of Eden, like as the reading <laughs> comprehension right. part. You're right. You're right. So what? it was, yeah. So start, passages. Every yeah. single time there was any kind of reading comprehension standardized test for anything in California in the 1970s and 80s, it was from East of Eden or Grapes of Wrath, because there's these big dense paragraphs and yeah. you have to comprehend what they're talking about. Yeah. And with yeah. character setting and plot all in the same paragraph, you have to you know comprehend that. So as I was reading it again, I was like, oh, yeah, like this. Uh, the reason it seems familiar to me, other than having read it before, is um, the feeling of, of utter pain and suffering of an open blue book in front of me. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, <laughs> but it's... The, the other side of it, too, is there's so much California history in the second half of the book. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That, again, like if you grew up in California, is just like, it's the, in Northern California specifically, is just so much hammered into you about Salinas and Monterey and the farming and the missions and all that shit. Um, But I got to tell you, like, the fascinating shit for me is, like, when they're trying to figure out how to freeze vegetables, I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is actually kind of fascinating to me. Like, (laughs) That's how you know you're old. Yeah, it's like, like, oh, "Hmm, how did they freeze lettuce? I I, I actually (laughs) More information about ice. I truly enjoyed... The automobile passage, like when the guy comes out to fix the automobile, <laughs> mm-hmm. because it was so weird and like, was, you know, I'm sure as a kid I found that section boring, but it was like, right, that must have been so weird to have these machines making all this noise. And I just love like the, like the post officer is like, ugh, these things are coming all, they're going to be yeah. all over the place. You won't have horses anymore. And I was like, oh, that's right. There used to be horses everywhere. Right. Like that must have been so, and I was reminded of like, I had this friend who's a pilot and Whenever he, whenever we hang out with him, he always brings a drone, like because he's like you know a pilot. And he has like my brother has a drone. Drones. He brings around with him. Everywhere. And like we were, we were, we were in Italy. It was actually his wedding. We were in Italy for his wedding, and like he brought out this drone and he put it you know down like we're all having like uh, drinks or whatever after like, this is before the wedding. So it was just hanging out after a dinner or whatever. And he brings his drone out and I look at it. I was so disgusted it was like this machine yeah. it was like you know it was like seeing it's i mean it, look, it's, terminator. This it's a terminator drones like right. that's what i was looking at. and i was like this thing looks like this bug that's going to kill us all and he was like so proud of it i was so just dis- and that's what i felt like you know steinbeck was able to capture what it must have felt like to be on these rolling california hills and then have these sputtering awful machines yeah. come in well and like for us it's just like part of the background noise of lo- normal life but it, it's also sort of true about like the the mechanization of farming that was happening yeah. post that period in that yep. part of california i just i wrote a little short story for uh an anthology that's coming out in a couple weeks that takes place in uh pajaro which is just, it's basically right right in the same place. And I did a bunch of research for this scene that's like, you know, half a page long, um, about that whole area where the, the trains were coming through and picking up 
all of the fruit and vegetables that were being farmed there and how basically when Southern Pacific came through and, and, and moved the train lines that that disrupted farming in America. And I was like, I'm learning so much from my own research. And I read East of Eden. I was like, these poor people. <laughs> um, but well, I, the other thing though, just, just say is like, I, I forgot the pot boiler part. I forgot the, I forgot the profound BDSM aspect <laughs> of this book. I mean, Listeners, I, I'm not even joking. There is a profound subplot about BDSM in this book. And I'm like, let her live. Let Kathy do her thing. And I forgot, like, also, so Kathy is just horribly evil, of course. And so this this very kind whore is going to give Kathy uh, her whorehouse. Faye is going to give Kathy her whorehouse. And on the night that Faye, like, tells her... I really appreciate the work that you do. I think you're really great at your job. I'd like you to eventually take over. What Kathy does to pay her back is torture her and poison her and make her yep. think she's having a nightmare. Like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, and then a very elaborate poisoning, which I appreciate. Very elaborate. A poisoning that. That's the thing. It's I mean, enthralling. Like the, it's, a, it's a procedural from a villain's <laughs> point of view. It's like Breaking Bad, you know? You're like so like just, you. it's a real page turner in the middle of, a, you know, and, and it's necessary in this book. Yeah. Without that, this book would be really slow. Yeah. yeah. But you're like really kind of like, oh my God, what's going to happen? I can't believe she's doing that. And it just keeps going darker and yeah. Darker. Kathy's super dark, and what I what I remember too is that in the miniseries when I was a kid, she's played by Jane Seymour, and as she's an older character, she's racked by horrible arthritis. And this image of Jane Seymour in the miniseries with these hands that are just gnarled claws, has, demon claws, has always stuck with me. Like that's my fear. Like I'm always like like I stretch my fingers, I don't get Jane Seymour's hands. So I think that. Oh man. So I'm trying to think about Kathy on a feminist level, which is hard. Um, Because I think the obvious thing to go to is that she's Eve and she's like corrupting everyone. But that is actually not where this is going biblically. Because Mm. as readers, maybe we should have spelled it out for you. Her name is spelled with a C. (laughs) And I, I do think that this book, you know... It's got something going on with the intergenerational trauma that is the point of the book in both family threads. Like, the Hamiltons Mm -hmm. start happy, and then shit really goes wrong for about half of them. And then the Trasks have to work so hard to just be psychologically okay. Um, And Kathy's just a part of that line. Like, it's she's not it's not Adam and Eve. It's the thesis of the book seems to be like we are all either Cain or Abel and that's that and Kathy's Cain. Um right. so I do think it's a mistake to put her as Eve or Lilith or No, no. I mean a part of her part of her villainy is actually her anti womanness, right? right. Like she's always described with like and, and like the, like her lack of motherhood or lack of normal female characteristics. So I, you know, her, her like using sexuality as power, it's not like a self-empowering feminine sex positive version of that, you know, which, but if you took the actions of Kathy, right? Like if you, like if you were to separate her from this book, like if I were to write a movie of this book, you could make that possible with the very same story, right? Like the idea that like she is sort of stuck in this 
man's world where she doesn't have power except through sexuality. Like, but that's not the story he's telling. No, <laughs> that no. is. He is he has villainized her from the moment he introduces her, and he's like he just outright says like she is she is evil. And like, let's, she is, let's be real, like, she know. doesn't have a pattern. She does a little of everything. She yeah. does psychological torture. She burns houses down. She poisons people. She shoots people. She kills her parents. <laughs> Sleep, <laughs> sleeps with her husband's brother. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, and then also she can also sit still for hours in the catatonic state, planning your demise. <laughs> right. She bites Sam's hand. Right. Like she so literally bad. bites his hand. <laughs> bites the hand. Oh my god! god it's so. That. It's yeah. I mean, it's but it, it's interesting. I don't. You know, I think. Yeah, I, I you know, and I, I I like what you were saying, Julia, and I I agree. Like with the Lee stuff too. You know, when you get into this race, it's so hard because like it, on on one hand. You, Steinbeck is incredibly progressive. Um, it, you know, like he basically describes code switching yep. before people really knew what right. that was. Yeah, when, that, when Lee, lead, when Lee does it. his pigeon English mm-hmm. and, and when Samuel is able to like sort of call him out on it and say like, you, you're, you, I can tell that you're smarter than this and that you're, you're not as, as foreign as you're pretending to be. And that he can drop his accent and just be an intelligent person. And Sam is able to see him for, you know, as a, as a, as an American, essentially mm-hmm. as a human being. Uh, but then of course there's all this sort of essentialism and Orientalism also in the same right. book where it's like, you know, this sort of wise Chinese cook who's always serving and feminized. And there's a lot of stereotyping and it's like as much as self-conscious as Lee is about it, I don't know if the book is as self-conscious no. about it. And I don't know. So I don't know. I mean, on one hand, it's just kind of cool. To, I mean, I have to say, like, who was writing Chinese characters? You know, white, what white guys were writing a, about a character the same? So there's there's credit to be given to Steinbeck on, in some regard. Um, and I, you know, as a kid reading it, like, I loved the Lee character. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, you know, just loving Lee Sam and and Adam like that dynamic and of course the the central conversation they have about Tim Schull, um was like so I mean that just loomed so large in my mind I think you know here I was reading a really long big book and and encoded within it is them interpreting a very important story right, right? Mm-hmm. like it's it's like what you by by if you like like discovering the inter, the ability to interpret a big book and within it they're interpreting a book and like finding meaning and it all comes down to like one word and one passage and if you can like unlock that then you have like a secret powerful meaning right. I loved that. Like that was so important to me as a kid, as a teenager that I, you know, that I might be able to like walk away with like wisdom from, from a novel or from the Bible or whatever. And like the fact that these three heroes, you know, if there are any heroes in the book, it's the three of them and it's their friendship. Um, but it's also just so cheesy the way that like the good people can just sense the badness right. of Kathy, <laughs> or can they all just like the morality is so black and white and so heavy handed that it's like, I don't know. But but like I said, like I can't help but have a deep affection for this book because it does. Well, but it, 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 it I think it it's and it isn't. yeah. It, it, I think ahead. it's I, I think the power of it rests on like many books we've talked about that we read when we were younger on when you read it. So if you read this book when you're 16, 17 years old and the morality is literally so black and white in these situations that people are stunned when they find out the evil that 
that someone is. So, for instance, Cal takes his brother to see their mother. This is, you know, the 500 end. pages into the book. Yeah. And Aaron is so shocked by who his mother is that he essentially decides he cannot live anymore and enlists in the army to go die in World War One rather than live with the knowledge of who his mother is. And it's like, bro, like... Relax. <laughs> come on. <laughs> like, that's your choice? Yeah. yeah. So this is where I but, say... But, like, when you're 16, 17 years old, you're like, oh, my God. Like, that's, that's what you have to do when... Right. It's when noble. Face, it's it's like dramatic noble, in right. the way that you are at that right. age. Right. It's the kind of dramatic swings. and Right. Yeah. And also, it's important to remember that Aaron and Caleb are, like, 17 years old when this is happening. And right. so... It's like everything is life or death when you're 16, 17 years old. And so that makes some sense. But it also, like, everyone around them is like, well, but I understand he couldn't deal with that fate. Like, also, it's important to remember, and this is something I really want to, I want to get your guys' opinion on. Like, Steinbeck himself is very self-important. And, and, and oh, he, he puts himself in you, the book. He's kind of, <laughs> but, I mean, all those chapters that are like, you know, and then... Uh, you know, then the country turned older again, and the leaves change, and it's very—it's this like such a self-important tone that it's constantly letting you know, like big important book right. with big important things happening, and I am your guide for this big important book, and I can tell you, and it's like, and he makes these proclamations, these pronouncements, you know, like when a man is wise, he often follows his path. To, you know, and it's like, what do you, you know? And half the time, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I, I get the like. And I feel like when I was a teenager, I just loved that because it was so like, yes, like guide me, oh wise author, oh, I'd be, godly. I'd be happy to, know. writer. Yeah. In human affairs of danger and delicacy, <laughs> yes. successful conclusion is sharply limited by hurry. So right. often men trip by being in a rush. If one were properly to perform a difficult and subtle act, he should first inspect the end to be achieved. And then, once he had accepted the end as desirable... He should forget it completely and concentrate solely on the means. By this method, he would not be moved to false action by anxiety or hurry or fear. Oh, Very yeah. few people learn this. <laughs> See, that was like, for me, as like a kid reading, yeah, I was like, oh. yes. <laughs> Let me worship at the altar of yeah. Underline, underline. Yeah, like essential truth. The rest of the <laughs> right. But like now I'm kind of just like, why do I need this? You know, I'm like, just, just tell me the story. Because what Steinbeck is best at is good, good characters, like believable yeah. three-dimensional characters that are, you know, I mean, in this book, not so much, but other Steinbeck books are, he's so good at like, uh, I guess he's really good at paradox. Like he creates characters that are full of paradox, usually not Kathy. And not, you know, in this book it gets, but like most of the time. And so when he, I guess like the, my favorite Steinbeck book I, I, I'm realizing is Cannery Row. And, and I think the reason is, is because it's a comedy because it's, it, he does that tone. Like he does that, like when a man gets drunk and he, but it's all about like, poor drunk people right you know it's like they're 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 like the they're hobos they're like the the they're, they're just the the degenerates of the salinas valley you know and like that when you when he applied that sort of 
highfalutin tone to poor people or the degenerates or the forgotten, whether that's in Of Mice and Men, the poor workers, Grapes of Rat. It's like, for some reason, it like works in a way. It's like seems appropriate. Mm -hmm. But in this book, I just kept being like, dude, you're talking about supposedly your family. Like, right. Why do I care? Like, you're talking like, great. Selena's went through the seasonal change. Like, make me care which he does to a certain extent but i didn't need those chapters like I, right it's just such a weird tone and but then at the same time it's kind of comforting and kind of fun to read too yeah, and like fun. i don't know is it i mean it was fun for you too julia like yeah. do you remember feeling that I way as a teenager or back to my great writer gone crazy <laughs> yes <laughs> I, at which i think is at, at, at his yeah. best at his best like this is the American tone with which I want, I personally want to write. Like, where he's yeah. saying things, sentences that are simple, but also go at a clip, but also feel meaningful. You know, like mm. they never feel thin, right. even though they can often be simple. So there's a mastery there that I think is fun. Like, it's, and yeah. I mean, I find my writer brain being like, how did he put this together? Um, but I do agree with you that like, as you age, we're all kind of in the same age group at this point. Um, and I feel like I underline totally different things. So instead of underlining those parts this time, I blocked out, I would consider this a perfect piece of scenic writing. Um, this is when Tom... One of the sons of Samuel gets the telegram. Everyone's mm -hmm. been like, Samuel's going to die. Samuel's going to die for like 40 pages. So right. we all know what's they coming. They really set him off yeah. for a good send off. And he's been like, I'm ready to die. Yeah. <laughs> just say goodbye to everybody. So, Why don't you just go swimming with a brick? Even though, <laughs> even though that happened, these two tiny little paragraphs really, they made me cry. Um, okay. Uh, here we go. A, a kid comes and delivers a telegram. Tom started to call after him, and then he leaned wearily down and picked up the telegram. He sat in the sun on the, be on the bench outside the forge, holding the telegram in his hands. And he looked at the hills and at the old house, as though to save something, before he tore open the envelope and read the inevitable four words, the person, the event, and the time. Mm -hmm. Tom slowly folded the telegram and folded it again and again until it was a square no larger than his thumb. He walked to the house, through the kitchen, through the little living room, and into his bedroom. He took his dark suit out of the clothes press and laid it over the back of a chair, and he put a white shirt and a black tie on the seat of the chair. And then he lay down on the bed and turned his face to the wall. Yeah. I mean, damn! I <laughs> Beautiful. So good. Beautiful. Um, but it also has that like heavy quality that you're describing. And I still like it. Like this, I see there's more of like a distance between the teenage self and this self that I am now. But I'm still like, yeah, I like a, I like an intergenerational book. I like yep. a long book. I like a mm -hmm. book that tells me that it's meaningful. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I want to read more of them. Like, I know there's a lot yeah. of readers out there, and I bet some of our, our listeners are these people who are like, give me the next intergenerational Th like, 20 Thousand characters. Acres by Jane Smiley. Thousand Acres is like the perfect, perfect Ooh, one. Okay. It's based, based on King Lear. You know what I was also thinking about while reading this is like, compared to sort of modern day intergenerational novels or family novels, like, 
this versus the corrections, give me this. Hell yeah. Every single day. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like I want I want crazy high drama. You know, I, I want I I want huge misunderstandings. I don't want wealthy people upset about small lies. You know, yeah. I want well, that makes sense too, because you also you also you really love Dickens. Yeah, which I do. Falls into oh, that me category too. too. Like yeah. yeah. So you like you like a writer sort of guy like a you know, a really yeah, no, a really well structured sort of like yeah, it's it's so funny because like, I no longer read that kind of book. Like that's mm-hmm. what I loved when I was younger. But like, you know, I was thinking in comparison to somebody like Faulkner, right? right. Who does like big intergenerational stories, but would never tell you why what you're reading is important. Right. right. Like that's like the last thing Faulkner does. Faulkner instead draws you into the person's minutia of their brain in a moment where they were considering the intergenerational trauma <laughs> and then you have to like work backwards and draw a family tree to figure out what the hell they're talking about right. to then realize there was incest in the past and this person's still trying to deal with it. Right. But you, he'll never say that to you. You know, whereas like Steinbeck like guides you, grabs your hand and says, come, let's look at a valley and I'll tell you what the trauma this right. family had. But- and like, that's just a completely different approach. And it's so funny because I, I've moved completely far away from that. And I feel like, most critics have, right? Like yeah. most American oh, sure. criticism has embraced the idea that we should, that you don't, you show, don't tell, right? right? To put it simply, right? But like, this is so telly. And I think it's not a coincidence that this is one of his most popular novels. This is like one of the most popular American novels. Yeah. And it's like, it, I, I understand that because it, it's really hard for me to remember that people don't read that often. You know, like I read a lot. Um, and even I don't feel like I read that much compared to some people, you know, but, but, most people, most Americans these days don't don't actually they don't have time to read that much. They only get to read like a book a year or two books mm-hmm. a year. And I and I feel like when you when you're being told by an author, it's like it's like great voiceover in a movie. You know, mm-hmm. it's like people talk about Shawshank Redemption. It's like this great movie or, you know, even like one of my favorites, Stand By Me. And I think part of the reason is that you're, or Forrest Gump, you're being told how to feel by a narrator. Mm-hmm. You're being told like, and this is why this scene was important. And then you get to see the scene and it's a well done scene with good acting or a good turn, but being set up or paid off by a, by a narrator, by a, a storyteller is super comforting and it makes it feel more epic than it might otherwise feel. You know, right. it, it's, a, it, it's like, and it's yes. something we kind of, we kind of shit on as critics often, like, you know, I, I wasn't surprised to, to read when I was looking this book up uh, just before we recorded that, like, critics didn't like it at the time when it came really? out. Oh, yeah. It oh. was completely, you know, just like everyone thought it was crap. And I can, I can see why. <laughs> well, but, but I, you know, lost popular. his mind. <laughs> so it does feel like a lot, though, right? right. Like you were saying, like, it feels like Steinbeck gave himself permission with yeah. this book. Like, he was Hell like, yeah. I'm going to write the most important book I've ever written. It's going to somehow relate to me and my family and, like, where I grew up. But I'm just going to go for it. Right. And, and like, just, it's cool in that way. It's, like, it's great. So what yeah, you're, I, you know, I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm yeah, no, loving I'm, what you're saying because I feel like what we're grabbing onto here that is, like, out of vogue is confidence the confidence of the writer yeah like, absolutely yeah. dickens absolutely. had it twain had it and this book is coming out of those like he most certainly read those people mm. um yeah. and then it's also connecting i love that you brought up shawshank and stand by me because 
of course, with the evil Kathy stuff, I'm like, oh, my God, this is a connecting the dots to Stephen King, who mm-hmm. also right. is that cocky in his writing and is like, yeah, totally evil, 100 percent evil. Let's do this. Right. right. Um, totally. And with, and with but no he always has the mystical element right. or the magical element that sort of makes it yeah, OK. And or, I think or, yeah. those super confident, like part of the reason we hate this, too, is like this is we all know what do those writers have in common they're like overprivileged so full of themselves mid-career white guys they're rich they're famous they can everything do anything. they write is going to get published so yeah everything they write so is the get confidence yeah. comes through but also that arrogance really really comes through too and now it's just like oh wow where's the humility where's the like you know coming at it from from a well thought through direction like they're like hell no i'm gonna write 800 pages and you're gonna love it and i'm gonna win a a nobel prize and be a bestseller because i'm john steinbeck (laughs) like he's did he get those yes (laughs) yes he got the nobel yes of course yes Mm -hmm. um so i i also wanted to add (laughs) thinking about other works like the morality thing let's go back to that because i feel like Mm -hmm. it's easy to say like oh this book is so black and white but when I think about morality lately with with writing, like it's this is like most fantasy these days, and a lot of YA is grappling with morality. And this is a debate amongst my friends. Like, is Harry Potter just complete garbage, specifically for the reason that like you're sorted into your category, and that determines your whole personality type of thing. Right. And like Game right. of Thrones and everything in the fantasy world, like it's just addictive to be like, what house am I? What family of mine but this book kind of like it goes there for like 400 pages but then i really do think it's arguing against it because adam and aaron suck they're sad annoying people (laughs) who are so good that they like can't function so like their goodness is like a yoke around their necks it's not something to aspire to what the aspiration in this book is is even if you are marked by Cain, or you are Cain, so you're marked by God or your own original right. sin or whatever. I don't know. Not right. not a theologian. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I Who does both the marking? God and the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Cain gets the mark. Cain gets a mark because he killed his brother. Gets right. a mark, but how does he get it? God just Boom. Okay. <laughs> it's like a lightning Zach. bolt. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the argue, the whole argument of the Tim Shull thou mayest thing is like, yeah, the burdens on you guys, sons and daughters of Cain, like you still have to be good, even though you're so fucking evil inherently. Yeah. <laughs> and right. I think that right. is like it's kind of turning from this like European feudal thing to a more American thing of like. Yeah, we all suck, but we gotta live together, right? But right, it, guys. It, but it's also yeah. coming. It's also coming down to personal choice. So, like Abra, you know, loves both men, and she's a good person, but she does things that are that would generally be considered aberrant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but she's doing it by choice. You know, she's ruled by choice, so she doesn't easily fall into those categories that everyone else does. And then, by the same token, Adam, who is awfully good and all those things has lied to his children their entire lives so and it's neglect. not like and neglected them and like it's... only like only after they're like 11 does he ever have a conversation with them where he's like i'm interested in you what did you do today <laughs> um so i mean yeah there, there are there are these clear binaries but 
it also, like you said, like the last third or so of the book also starts to, like as the onset of modernity comes into the novel, the onset of personal choice and deciding who you want to be. So hoping for war so you make more money off of beans. Like, yeah, that's th- that's not a good thing. <laughs> but by the same token, you're trying to make money. So for the listeners who haven't read the book, Cal invests in, in beans. Just go with it. And uh, his father has lost all of his money on his Vakakta ice. And so Cal makes a bunch of money on beans. And he gives his father his profits off of the beans on Thanksgiving. And his father's like, I don't want this bean money, it's blood money, off of the dead soldiers who are fighting the war, that are buying the beans, etc., etc., etc. So all of a sudden, you get a lot of shades of gray. Like, Cal is, is, I mean, it's this dumb idea. Like, I'm going to give my dad this money, and that will make things better. Um, But Cal is trying to make his father's life better. But he's doing it in a really fucked up way. I mean, several times during this book, I was... Just imagining, you guys know that old experiment where they like took the monkeys away from their moms and then they had to like cling to wire monkeys. You yes. guys know what I'm talking about? Yes. I was like, that's what this book is. It's just neglected yes. children <laughs> yeah. clinging to it. nothing. It's very, right. very sad in that way, too. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm going back to my 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 high school essay on Instagram. <laughs> I've actually found it on my computer. Are you serious? No, but the problem is the problem is I wrote it in uh, Word Perfect. So <laughs> it, I can only open it in a text. Hold on, um, hold on a minute. Why the fuck do you still have this on your computer? I keep everything I write, man. I keep everything I write. But I remember what it was all about. It was about fate, duty, and choice. And how the three oh interpretations God. of, of uh, the three interpretations of the the word or the passage, you know, like there's the thou thou shalt overcome sin, right. thou will overcome sin. So it's fate, thou duty, and then thou mayest is choice. And that was like my whole writer, my whole essay. You've wow. got I can't to give this. us the first sentence of a writer strong high school paper. Yeah, I, I can't wait. For I'm the, trying. It's so hard. Unfortunately, I think it was. The one I found, okay, the title East of Eden is an allusion to the Bible. Nice. And a, nice. Well done. Not right. Miriam Webster defines I see the word a Abe, book as. Literary masterpieces told. It's a retelling of the Cain and Abel story, I think. Throughout a sense of justified complexities within simple lives, the intricacy of true human emotion. What does that mean? To begin, that? A no- to begin the novel, we are introduced Rewrite to two fam- families. <laughs> Hamilton's in the ta- Trasks. Uh, oh, God. It's so hard to... Because I'm, like, looking at all these weird symbols and trying to, like, erase them. Wow. Well, uh, I mean, really, what I should emotions. find is the conclusion. Yeah. Because that's probably where I really drive home. Yeah. Like, let's get... Down let's get... Let's get I, what if what if writer's ending is just one word and it's Excelsior? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Which also yeah. shows up in the book, readers, just FYI. Wow, I'm glad you pointed out that East of Eden is a biblical reference. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to know. Yeah. You know. They don't make that clear in the book. I wonder what grade I was in. I was probably only a freshman or sophomore. I was I was pretty young. Oh here, the Hebrew word Timshul at the essence of the character becomes the key 
of this story, the essence of the character's struggle to achieve happiness. For they all strive towards achieving the understanding of Timshul, whether they are aware of it or not. Oh, when, so powerful. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So that's what I, I mean. That's, it's probably just like the boilerplate essay that everybody writes. There's, there's nothing better than a high school essay that has the, the opening words for they. Today. <laughs> yeah. just trying to make yourself sound more sophisticated right i was probably I, there's probably an ergo thrown in there at some point steinbeck chooses to eschew <laughs> as carl sandberg said on the back of the book a moving crying pageant with wilderness strengths i just remember i just remember there were certain words that i completely miss would misuse like plethora or like anytime I had like the opportunity to use like my thesaurus and look up some complicated word for you know I misused intrepid many. over and over again. Oh I thought wow! It, I thought it meant the opposite of what it meant, and so I would put it in essays, and the teacher would always be like, "This word doesn't mean what you think it means." <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, "Well, I I know. I just, just going to use it." My favorite teacher note would just be an underline and then a question mark. Like, yep. yeah, Julia, what? What's wrong with you? Really? <laughs> sure. That means. Are you sure? <laughs> I, I I still use that in my when I'm making notes in my students' uh, yeah. novels or whatever. Are you sure about this line? Is this is this the line you want to use here? No, they funny. love that. They, that's a that's a that's 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 that UC education they're getting from me. Mm. Uh, so I think um, finally my my big thought about East of Eden is it's a must read. You have to read it. Wow, like, I'm surprised that's your takeaway. Yeah, like if you don't read it, you don't understand, um, like where every pot boiler <laughs> family saga, like Dallas and Dynasty and everything on television, they all come from the same shit. Like this is yeah. this is the giving tree of American <laughs> drama. Well, you know what? It, what it made me want to reread more than anything was actually a hundred years of solitude. Oh yeah, um, that's oh, another. Oh. Which is which is like to me a sort of. In my mind right now, and I want to reread it because I'm not sure, but it's kind of a better version of a similar thing. Because in that case, I feel like the the narrator is way less self-important, but but no less guiding. You know, like they're, they're, they're still guiding you through this family history. And there's magic and mystery. Yeah. But there's a sense of like self-consciousness about the storytelling that I feel like Steinbeck really doesn't quite have. No, you know? he like, believes it's all important. Yeah. yeah, he believes it's all like, and I think, I think, I think Grapes of Wrath is still his better novel for that reason, is that in that he just let it kind of speak for itself a little bit more. And then, like I said, Cannery Row, I've read that book so many times and I love it. And that's where this kind of voice is used to comic effect because he's elevating these, you know, degenerates. And I just think that it's so much, and it's a quick read. But I still, I agree with you, Todd. Like, this is a must read for me. Like, I just, and I feel like I, I, I totally get why people are like, this is my favorite book of all time. Like, like I, I, if somebody says that to me, I'll be like, "Yep, great, yeah. I totally get it." Like mm-hmm. because you feel like you've read all the books, right? And you, you, <laughs> you know, feel like, I mean? you feel like you've read the Bible also. Like, well, yeah, you feel like you've yeah. understood the Bible in a way. You've like walked away with like something. It's, it just has that epic quality, mm-hmm. you know. It has that like, but like early on, I was definitely like, I was, I was afraid that we were going to get on here and I was going to be bringing up my old Legends of the Fall reference, which is. It's a shitty movie, guys. If you think Legends of the Fall is a good movie, it's, oh, it's not. You've been fooled by epic movie making. It's about nothing. 
try to understand what's happening. But like this started to feel like that for me for the first like 300 pages. Like, oh my God, just another thing happened. And it yeah, happened the, over here. The, then and it's so like, this is, but by the end, it totally won me over. It's not Legends of the Fall. It's actually a good book. And it's, do it's not, if you're a high school student, this is very important. Do not watch the movie and think you can bullshit your way through a paper. <laughs> on East of Eden. You absolutely cannot do that, listener. Yeah, if you're here for part one of your bullshitting, you can use what we said. Right, and right. And you, you should plagiarize Ryder Thou only mayest. with caution. Yeah. Thou if you might want to start your paper with the words, for they, and then just figure out your own thought, but for God's sake, do not assume anything in the movie version happens in the book, other than a traumatic stroke. There's that. Actually, you, you guys... Which is also Legends of the Fall. You guys have to watch the movie, though, because James Dean plays Cal as this slouching sort of love interest. He's, oh, he's like totally like a mid-20th century guy in the middle oh, of yeah. the early 20th century. He wears the yeah. weird sweater, and he's just all pain and suffering and brooding. So overrated. I'm sorry. He, I'm, I'm, he's a I am a, a James he's a Dean detractor. Actor. He's a terrible he, actor. He's not terrible. He's just doing a Brando impersonation and it's like, and it's just, it was just the, the, the rebel th- and then he died. Yeah. I mean, he'd only made three movies so he just became this like legend because he was just such a presence. Yeah. He, he does have he, a presence. Oh yeah, he's, like, he's easy on the eyes. That's for sure. Yeah. He's a historical he's Such an amazing. Yeah, yeah, he he actually, like, he is kinetic to watch but he is he cannot act. <laughs> no, no, he never could. Which is a problem. I mean, Rebel Without a Cause is such a weird movie. When you watch it again, you're like, what? Like, what? why is this this classic? It's a, it's a truly strange movie. But, you know, it's just like hit that chord of like teenagers at the right time. When, yeah. You know, and he also, in, the, oh in East of Eden, he has, um, he has such a profound sexuality actually yeah that yeah that supersedes anything that you see in the movie and that's yeah. the thing that makes it feel transgressive like the whorehouse stuff doesn't feel transgressive at all because it touches on none of the stuff that's in the book but he feels transgressive and that's the thing that makes it feel sort of dangerous so that, i mean it, it's worth watching for sure i mean and Ilya kazan is a is a great director um but no real bearing on the book that that we just read. Grapes of Wrath movie is actually really good, though. Grapes of Wrath movie is great. John Ford, classic. That's, I mean, it feels dated, but right. it's still, like, it actually tells the same story as the book well. It's really good. The weird thing, too, about the movie, Lee isn't in it, so that, that whole character is, is gone. I mean, oh, not, terrible. None, of the, none of the important stuff is in it. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, because if it's focused on Cal and, and then Sam's already dead. Yeah. It, like it's it focuses on Cal and waiting. Aaron and Abra and um and Beans. <laughs> I I feel like erasing the Chinese American character is the worst possible way you could deal with that very uncomfortable. Right, subject. and they don't focus on on the most compelling character, the woman in this book, uh, <sighs> at all. Like she's she's a, a seriously minor character throughout this entire thing. Racism and sexism on top of the existing racism and sexism is too much for me. It's like a it's a lasagna of <laughs> fucked upness. <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening.